0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, this is Claudia Monticelli with another episode of Multiple Voices. My Multiple Voices podcast, true to its name, includes different series. For example, we have the voices of love, where we discuss relationships, the voice of empowerment, the voice of laughter and play, the voice of pleasure, and the magical voice of archetypes and how they change the way we live. But we also have the voice of memory that includes everything from history to discussions of past life regression. There's also writing voices where we interview both seasoned writers and authors who have just started getting their feet wet with writing and we learn what can work for you as potential writers. Our series called Voice of the Spirit discusses different forms of spirituality and religion and then channeling voices is a series that covers what happens when you channel but is also extended to mediumship take a moment to review this podcast if you've enjoyed listening and leave a hearty five stars i'd appreciate it enjoy your listening and today i have quite an adventurous guest When I first uh, read about her, I thought, oh my God, there's someone with more energy than me. But this woman is in a class of her own. Let me tell you a bit about her and then we'll have her come in. Um, Who is Jill Heinert? She's an underwater explorer. Okay, so anyone who is afraid of water or doesn't know how to swim already, you know that (laughs) she works in waters that you may not swim in or may not go in. Um, She's a writer, a photographer, a speaker, and a filmmaker as well. She's a a pioneer of technical rebreather diving, and we'll ask her about that first thing. She has led expeditions into icebergs in Antarctica, volcanic lava tubes, and submerged caves worldwide. Um, Jill is the first explorer in residence in the Royal Canadian Geographical Society. She's written a memoir and it, the title is Into the Planet. It's been lauded by the Wall Street Journal, by Oprah Magazine and the New York Times. Her children's book, my goodness, she's written a children's book called The Aquanaut. So this is you know, a, a 360 uh, degree woman. It's a blue ribbon selection for Dolly Parton's Imagination Library. Jill is also a fellow of the International Scuba Diving Hall of Fame. I had no doubt about that. Underwater Academy Academy of Arts and Sciences. She's part of the Women Divers Hall of Fame and the Explorers Club, which awarded her with the William Beebe Award for Ocean Exploration. And I'll tell you how to get in touch with her after we've done our interview. Come on in, Jill.
1: All right. Nice to be here with you today, Claudia.
0: Great to have you. Great to have you. Um, well, as I said in my intro, what, I'd like you to talk about what a technical rebreather, what technical deep rebreather diving is. We'll start off with that, <laughs> if sure. you don't mind, and then I'll yeah. go back to your childhood.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, most people think about scuba diving and they think about wearing a single tank on your back and you inhale and then you exhale and make bubbles in the water column. Well, a rebreather is actually uh, more like the life support equipment that an astronaut wears to make a spacewalk. So we actually recycle the exhaled breath. So we don't make bubbles and we conserve our resources and we're able to manipulate the mixture of gases so that it's just right for deep technical diving.
0: Wow. Now, of course, I want to, I have to know (laughs) if you could tell us a bit about your childhood that will link us to these adventures that you've dove into. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what, um, well, tell us about your your formative years, like the high school years. That's usually when we get a picture of what we want to do and where we want to go. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, actually, I think my relationship with water starts much earlier than that oh, when oh. I almost drowned <laughs> as a toddler. <laughs> How old was that? Oh, I was like 2 maybe. Oh, poor uh, woman. Oh, poor fell kid. off the dock at the at the cottage and floated face down by my mom who was terrified. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but um you know i was one of these curious kids that uh love to explore love being outdoors i love the water and any activity that i could do uh, in I the water hmm. but um when it came to formal studies i i'm actually an artist
0: uh oh, oh most, an most artist people are of... surprised um, <laughs> what area
1: uh visual communications design uh okay. so i have a Bachelor of Fine Arts, um, mm-hmm. specializing in, in graphic design advertising. And that was my <laughs> first career in life before taking my creative specialty underway. Okay,
0: so how much time did you spend with that career before you jumped elsewhere?
1: Oh, uh, well, I guess it's like three or four years. Um, I built a solid business and it was really going well, but I was teaching scuba nights and weekends. And Ah, that was my hobby. And I literally sat at the drafting table one day and said to myself, I I love the creative process. I love the type of work I'm doing, but I want to be doing it underwater. So I thought I would find a way to create a creative living um, based on my diving.
0: And is that where you started filming underwater or did you go even deeper? I, how did well, it begin?
1: The first step, I just sold everything. <laughs> I sold my oh. business. I sold everything I owned and I moved to the Caribbean to oh. give myself an opportunity to be diving three or four times Oh, well, a day I mean, this and... is
0: a big move. Where yeah. were you living, if you don't mind me asking at the time before uh, you Canada. moved? Canada. Yeah, Toronto. Oh my Canada. God. So yeah. that is quite a it was big a big move, move. Yeah, yeah yeah so so now this how much time did it take you to make that decision this is really important for me to know um, oh
1: yeah it's not easy I mean I knew I knew that I wasn't someone that would thrive in an indoor environment and yeah. it, it took me a couple of years to figure out you know what that might look like and it also like it took a lot of guts to just kind of leave everything behind like a successful business and um you know family friends everything I knew for comfort I literally had to leave behind so that I could have a focused time in the water to improve my creative abilities underwater so
0: you were still walking on your own two feet or or Mm. were there uh, uh, other members of your immediate family that you you know dragged along with you
1: no, I was on my own. yeah, ah,
0: okay. okay. And
1: nobody in my family dives even today. Um, so I'm the outlier, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> in
0: that. So so now you're you're you know you're you're um, moving around in the water in the Caribbean, right? And uh, what were the first um, attempts to be creative like you say?
1: Well, I was already shooting photographs underwater here in Canada um, just as a hobby. And, and of course I you know shot a lot out of the water as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I literally wanted to have the time to dedicate to my craft. I mean, back then we were shooting on film, of course, and so hmm delayed gratification you've yeah, got to you know yes, shoot right. 24 or 36 exposures and then right. send it off to get developed and maybe a week later you get feedback yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so and you know there was no like no way to just type into the inter- internet you know how to improve your underwater photography Right. right. there was there wasn't
0: there wasn't any there. right <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I was self-taught and that took time it took a couple of years really to shoot and Think about storytelling and submit articles to magazines
0: and okay and, okay uh, now we're getting their, yeah now we're getting the, to the to the nitty-gritty All right so yeah. so you you started publishing and that's when it's a very tedious process and that too mm-hmm. is slow you know on people have to read you but but that i imagine was the you know putting seeds you were throwing out seeds there weren't yeah. you then um because you've published so from reading about your background and having you know and meeting you I imagine and I'll have you jump in then there must have been someone to say wow you're fantastic let me back you up and support all your endeavors and they threw money at you tell me that they did no,
1: happened. Huh? <laughs> oh oh dear. You just rained on
0: my parade.
1: Go on. Yeah, no, it, you know, honestly to this day, I still never know where the next paycheck's coming from. Ah. I'm just constantly like um, applying many different skills in order to keep me in the environment I want to work in. And so I'm a writer, I'm a photographer, I'm a cinematographer, I'm a consultant, I'm a professional speaker, and all of those things are you know intertwined with the adventures and expeditions from my life but Mm -hmm. uh you know certainly there are manufacturers who I'm a brand ambassador for Uh but okay but you know most people think oh so these people just throw equipment at you for free and it's like no no No, everything is transactional you know it's like they want, um, you know, marketing benefit right, from a relationship. Right, and so right. I create photos and videos and stories, right. and social media for them.
0: Well, that's so a lot is, of energy right there. It, is, it work, is, but it's a lot of energy too. Um, hmm. From what you've said so far, I think we could... One of the topics that you mentioned you'd like to talk about is fear. And I think now we could talk about fear because I'm afraid for you. <laughs> Go.
1: Oh, yeah. My mom's afraid, too. <laughs> no, I mean, people think that um, that because of what I do, that I must be fearless. I mean, right. I'm going down right. under the water and right. I'm swimming into an overhead environment, a cave. So rocky passages that um, branch out, you could get lost in, you could get trapped, you can stir up the silt and not be able to see. Uh, These are high stress environments. And and to be completely frank, I have lost over 100 friends to diving, technical diving, cave diving, rebreather diving accidents through the course of my career.
0: Oh my goodness. It's
1: very, very dangerous. so it, it requires a dedication to safety and right. i like to tell people i am not fearless right. i uh, I embrace fear. I'm scared every time I go diving. And that means that I care about the risks that I'm taking. I care about the outcomes. I care about getting back to my husband at the end of the day. And so my life is about mitigating risks. I, I'm risk averse.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. So let's see that Yeah. Uh, since you, you, with the same voice that you talk about fear, you do talk about risk and safety. So let's, let's yeah. uh, give, um, our audience and, and myself a, an example uh, of mm-hmm. how you, you would uh, you have a date you, mm-hmm. you were intending to do something you know this next Sunday and mm-hmm. it is somewhere and give us an idea of how that is prepared and so, so mm-hmm. you are still fearful but have a backing uh, yep. Okay.
1: Yeah, so uh, there's different stages of planning and preparation. Of course, you know, my life today represents a lifetime of a dedication to training. So training and proficiency and currency are important. So, you know, if you have a break because of a COVID isolation, you know, you have to get back into the water and take baby steps to bring yourself back up to.
0: So, excuse me, you're saying currency, you mean currency, the current of the w- currency in the water? and your
1: skills yeah ah, okay so okay. I have to practice drills and things like what to do if something goes wrong right. um, so all of that happens you know far in advance but on a given day you know I pack my gear I test it I use a checklist to go through different procedures to ensure that everything's up to working order I don't get in the water unless everything's fully functional mm-hmm. and then before I go diving I kind of take a meditative break And I say, all right, I'm about to go into a cave with very low visibility to do some science collection activities, let's say. Mm -hmm. And I have to think about all the things that could kill me today. Oh
0: dear!
1: (laughs) And then I have to (laughs) convince myself that I have the tools and I have the capability to deal with each one of those potential risks so that when I go underwater, I'm no longer stressed about those things. I've checked the lists. Then if something happens underwater, I must expect that the unexpected will occur underwater. Yeah,
0: yeah. Then
1: the first thing I do is I take a deep breath straight down into my hips and all the way up into my neck and during that deep breath I say, emotions, you won't serve me right now. Oh, dear. So go away. Oh, dear, so I literally dear. push the emotions away and then I focus on the left side of my brain and I literally try and break down my survival into small steps mm-hmm. and and i think that's an answer that's that's valuable for someone whether they're a diver or whether they're just like trying to put a report on their boss's desk you know yeah
0: that sounds like uh, underwater mindfulness
1: <laughs> yeah, it is yeah, i mean yeah. we all have fears for for anything in life um and and I think that when we can separate the emotions and yeah. just work with small pragmatic steps towards success, that that's that's when we have a chance to be real explorers.
0: Um, I'm listening to you and listening to you and watch. You know, I'm, I'm seeing, visualizing the scene of you doing all this, and it's making me think. Um, I'm a, an, a conference interpreter, a simultaneous interpreter with earphones. You know, you listen to a language, and, and and typically people say, oh, we work without a net because we never know what people are going to say. And so we always have to think on our feet, right? There's a certain amount of, of risk there. And, um, and I remember working at a conference and I was doing my thing and a group of three or four men came to me and said, my God, we want to meet your husband. <laughs> and I was thinking that when I was listening to you, I'm thinking, I want to meet her husband. <laughs> I see him, he must be an accountant. Or something, you know?
1: <laughs> no, he couldn't be further from that. Oh, okay. uh, Yeah, <laughs> I hit the jackpot. Uh, my husband is truly remarkable. He um, he uh, used to be a uh, combat photojournalist in the uh, U.S. So there's
0: there's a, an overlap with what you do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, combat photojournalist. Then he became a, with his GI Bill, he became a nurse, He became a nurse uh-huh. in the prison setting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah. he's got your back
1: yeah yeah but he has many skills he, he worked in the concert and audio business before <laughs> before going into the military so yeah if i didn't marry him i might have hired him <laughs> but then
0: you would have had to fire him nah
1: <laughs> but you know mo- most importantly like it, it's um it's hard when one person in the family takes a lot of risks of yes. course because yes. then someone else is home waiting and that's painful it's it's um it can be devastating it requires really good communication between us Um, yes of course he needs to have a veto power over certain projects (laughs) you know i can imagine (laughs) um but but ultimately he knows who i am and what makes me who i am and he understands that he could not ask me right to step away from this because then i wouldn't be that woman that he loved
0: yeah yeah Uh, Yeah, that's, I hear you about that. Um, You know, there's a lot to be said. I mean, uh, even you who you just said that you've lost about a hundred friends in, you know, that, that uh, with with this kind of activity and just to give us an idea of the risk involved. And, um, but I am watching you, you know, and I'm looking at all of the uh, graphic uh, items that you've put on the screen and I'm thinking, ah, oh, the explorer, how many people do you, can I say, do I know any explorers? You know, <laughs> I know a woman who dives into caves, I can't remember the name for that, with all of the gear and goes down into the pit of the earth. I can't remember the name of that, you probably know. But, and I thought that was incredible. Um, in this case, uh, there is a certain amount of gender Um, uh, a certain amount of gender issues linked to that kind of work I I mean for example are most explorers male or Mm -hmm. uh, or you know does that affect did that affect you in coming up into that profession
1: yeah absolutely i mean i'm working in a niche within a niche within a niche and they're all male dominated <laughs> so diving is still male dominated technical diving is even more <laughs> male yeah, cave diving and then being a cinematographer in that space is um is all male dominated and it's gotten better there are more women in, in each of these facets now but um I've certainly been, you know, faced with intentional sexism and unintentional bias. Oh, how uh, sweet. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not... It's what, not does really, an,
0: what does unintentional bias sound like?
1: Well, I, like, I can be in a, in a group of people, uh, like men usually. Like, I, I remember one occasion when I was teaching some men how to cave dive. <laughs> and one of their friends came running over. Oh, hey, Rob, how's it going? And he's like, Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm learning to cave dive. He goes, Oh, man, that's rad. You know, he's like totally like testosterone flowing kind of thing. It hadn't even barely sort of glanced in my, in my direction. And, and he goes, Oh, wow. Well, hey, hey, little lady. Well, I'll take you diving while, you're, while your, your buddies or your husband go off and do their class if you want. And I'm like, i'm actually their instructor you know <laughs> so there's a lot of situations like that where yeah, yeah. where women who are doing male-dominated things are just invisible to the rest of humanity
0: you're right. not see that.
1: pictured in that sport or that job or that role and um it's frustrating but but I've even had things like I I at one point thought well maybe I want to be a commercial diver and I'll go to commercial diving
0: school well what does uh, what is the difference there uh what is exactly what uh is-
1: so a commercial diver has uh sort of a a licensure really uh to be yeah. you know involved in uh you know underwater welding yeah. some underwater research requires commercial diving but um you know hands-on hard work underwater maybe in the oil and gas industry or why would
0: you want to do that
1: well I was trying to find a way to have a career underwater and I thought well maybe maybe I needed that ticket Ah. that permission oh I see I see see. that was before I realized I didn't need anybody's permission but Uh I, I uh I went and I paid for a workshop for the weekend and went to this 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 conference basically to become a commercial diver and the instructor came up to me and said there's no room for women in commercial <laughs> diving. If you just want to go train dolphins, there's other ways to get that done. And I'm Sweet. Like, okay. <laughs> and that's when I thought, I don't need your permission. Just watch me. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. I hope you got your money back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, <that's... Yeah>.
0: Ouch. <laughs> um. You. What. What. I, you've probably been to so many different places and. And um situations that are always unique there's probably never the same um even if they're in the same place you're doing the same thing but it's never the same what has been the greatest challenge for you Hmm. underwater oh boy Um... in a pos is in a positive and in a negative sense
1: yeah, I, I, it's always a learning situation, which is very positive. Like every mm-hmm. new mission, every new expedition is is uh, doing something that somebody hasn't done before. I mean, I yeah. was the first person to cave dive inside icebergs.
0: Uh-huh. I've been uh,
1: further into deep underwater caves than any woman in history. So all of those are what like do you groundbreaking.
0: Do with with the cold?
1: How do oh, you do it? Well, yeah, I mean, the cold, it's, it's the water temperatures like in the polar regions when I'm diving, it's like 28 degrees Fahrenheit. So one tenth of a degree colder and it would be frozen solid. Yeah. Uh, but we wear dry suits and heavy undergarments. Uh, certain parts of our body, like our face, is exposed directly to the water and it's cold. I mean,
0: yeah.
1: um, so oh, we I, develop I wanna,
0: a I quality. wanna know that the face creams you use. <laughs> 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 because you must have to do special things i mean your hands are your hands covered most of the time
1: yeah we wear we wear various thickness of gloves in order mm-hmm. to keep our hands warm but but everything that you wear dry suit dry gloves um, still has a potential to leak so like oh i've dear. been oh in God. antarctic waters and i've had a glove leak that almost you know froze my hand and Probably created permanent nerve damage.
0: Oh, um, now that's a, a challenging situation <laughs> if yes. I've ever heard one. What is the most pleasant experience that you've had? Oh,
1: boy. I, you know, I pinch myself almost every day because of the cool things that I get to see and do. But I think some of my happiest underwater experiences have been with some of the large animals that I've had a chance to swim with. Large? So, <laughs> large? Yeah, I mean, you know, you being mean... inside a school of of, of uh, whale sharks or a pod of humpback whales, like a 100 oh humpback whales. Uh, or I love going out to BC and swimming with uh, stellar sea lions and when California you say BC
0: British Columbia you're talking British about? Columbia yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. um and so I'll be in the water with 40 or 50 uh, great big like you know one ton sea lions that are all are kind of tugging on my gear and but trying that to steal you didn't talk camera. about
0: that you didn't talk about that under the title of fear you talked about the <laughs> And oh I, no, that's I, no! So joy. so I mean, you yeah. you must know these animals fairly well and their characteristics and and you're akin yeah. to them in some way.
1: Yeah, I mean, but there's always a first time, and certainly so oh, you're God. definitely more. <laughs> yes,
0: you know, the dog I mean, always bites. Yes. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, I was the first woman to to swim with wild polar bears in order to catch um, some footage of them from the water viewpoint for a documentary film. And that was terrifying. Well, I, what,
0: what, what was the most terrifying about it? What was it?
1: That... Well, polar bears uh, are the only thing that they have on their mind is they want to eat you. And oh, they're quite dear. hungry these days because of the loss of sea ice. And, and the documentary that I was um, filming was about climate change and the loss of sea ice. Uh, so the producers asked me if I would jump in the water to film oh the pol- my a wild polar bear.
0: Was there uh, an extra uh, incentive, monetary incentive for that?
1: <laughs> no, it's funny because my, my partner on that project, we also jumped in the water with, uh, with walruses as well and he he's actually been doing this for longer than i have and he said he was more scared of the walruses oh, oh. <laughs> uh, but they're both incredibly risky endeavors um, you know i don't know that i would actually ever want to do that again because oh, literally yes. the polar bear swimming at you six miles per hour and when he gets close you have to descend and try and get the shot of him swimming oh over your god. head oh my god but they're now starting to dive. Um, They're hungry, you know? Yeah, they're um, hungry, yeah. And they're they're adapting to find new ways to get food. And, and, you know, my my body um, would be a perfect lunch.
0: we're on uh, in a podcast so most of the people most of the audience will be listening and um mm. but you can't see us and here i am i have the earphone my earphones on with the coil and, and i'm i'm go i'm almost breaking it out of nerves when you're talking about these <laughs> these these animals i'm literally starting to not i'm pretty fearless generally but i don't I can't imagine myself in that position. okay. When, um, when we're young, we always think, oh what am I going to do when we grow up? What am I going to do when I grow up? And I always grew up with the idea I want to jump out of a plane in a, um, a parachute. I'm going to do that before I get you know before I die, I have to do it, I have to do it. Then I got into my 40s and got to the 50 mark and I thought, Okay, I'll get a, I'll I'll wrap myself around an instructor and jump with him, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I'm getting to the point where I'm thinking maybe I could, you know, let that go for this lifetime. So my question to you is, um, it, obviously, there's, uh, I, I don't know if I could say there's a limit to what you can do as you age, and places you can go. Uh, Have you thought about that? Or or has, as you grow into this profession, have you already changed the things that you have done in relation to growing pains, let's call it that.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you're, you are you know, they say young and foolish for a reason. Right? Yeah, right, I mean, yes. as we age, yeah. we gain wisdom. And as, you know, life feels like it's accelerating out of control you know, towards yeah. the inevitable end. The um, inevitable we, end yeah. yeah, we uh, With definitely. With or without a,
0: a bear, a sea lion.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, we're definitely more mindful about the risks we take. I mean, interestingly enough, a student once gave me as a tip a level one parachute jump class with a Ooh. photographer meaning um i wouldn't be strapped to an instructor but i'd be on my own and they would photograph and video the whole thing and right, he thought, right, right. I'm a diver i would love that i would love absolutely love the sensation of flying but what is not optional for me is Landing, landing is mandatory, right? <laughs> right. Landing is mandatory, <laughs> yes. and and that comes with the the greatest risk. And yes. I actually never ever took that gift certificate in and cashed oh. it in because the risk was unacceptable to me. I thought, okay, if I land sort of badly, I might break a leg, right? But yeah. and if I do that, it's I'm not going to be able to do Anything what I need else. to do for my right. career. Yeah,
0: um,
1: and so I ruled that out as unacceptable risk.
0: Um, oh, that's a good today,
1: tip. <laughs> that's yeah, good for I, me to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, today I look at, um, you know, I, I can control a number of things, but when too many things are uncontrollable, like jumping out of an airplane, yeah, um, then I I give a project a pass. So there's a lot of projects I say no to because of the team, because of the safety setup, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. There's too many things out of my control. So right. I, I'm like,
0: Control freak, eh? <laughs> <laughs> No, you don't come off at all as being a control freak, by no means. Um, I, I can imagine that you feel, from what you've been talking about, I can see that you can control the equipment, you can control a lot of the things, the things you wear, but in the end, you can't control uh, the weather, you can't control the what you'll see or what will happen. So that does, that does big you know, question well, mark right there.
1: Yeah, I mean, as a young girl, I used to have a much harder time saying no because of the social pressures or because of the hierarchy of an expedition or a job. So I might've been more apt to take risks because like whoever was above me on the totem pole, like I felt some responsibility to them to get the job done so that they could have a success. But, you know, as you grow older, you get much better at saying no. And, and at 56, it's really easy to say, hell no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not I doing hear that. that in conference interpreting, <laughs> conference interpreting. There's inevitably there's always a press conference and that is the worst. You know, the press is so evil, but, you know, and so we send the younger interpreters. <laughs> they need to learn how to do that. Yes. Interesting. It's so, so interesting. Um, Let's say, let's say that you're given the opportunity now um, in, uh, let's say in a couple of months, in two, three months time and to uh, address a group of women in their early 30s, yeah, the tail end of the millennials and um, they're looking for a new profession. And some association, organization, or institute calls you in because they need females for a certain thing, and they want you to be influential, influential for them in that sense. What would you, how would your pitch to them be?
1: Oh, wow. I, there's, I, I do actually spend a lot of time mentoring young women, and uh-huh. uh, and it's the, it's very meaningful to me to be involved yeah, in those imagine. sorts of activities yeah yeah there's so many so many bits of advice I give them from beginning with like you must create your own brand even if you have like absolutely you know no background in you know writing photography filmmaking or whatever you need to first buy your domain like jillheinerthcom okay. or now,
0: but but in your profession in mm-hmm. your field when you talk about brand it has yeah. a whole different meaning compared to a brand in other uh, areas, does the brand also imply their niche, their specialization?
1: Yeah, because the first thing that happens when you're looking for a new job or a grant or an opportunity is somebody will like type into Google your name and you need to control the results that they find and you want them to land on things that you have curated that, that tell your story and who you are. Uh, the second thing I would tell them is, is connections are critical. Yeah. And you make connections um, when you're you know, starting something new by volunteering every opportunity yes. that I've had in life and that I continue to have today began with the seed of volunteering. Yeah. Uh, so I went on expeditions and I worked really hard and then I made sure the person in charge knew that I wanted the next gig and, yeah, yeah. and on and on and on. Um, the other thing I would say is that you must start to build assets. Uh, so it's okay if you wanna just work for someone for the rest of your life and get a paycheck by the hour or by the day or whatever. But if you wanna like kind of retire with a bigger nest egg, you have to think about creating assets that you might be able to create one time, but cash in on many times. And those um, assets give me an are example. things like stories, Okay. your stories, your right. photos, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, so, you know, I kept diaries on every one of these expeditions that I went on you know 30 years ago and then i had to dig those assets out in order to create into the planet um my my book with penguin random house so um images that i shot 30 years ago i made sure that i retained the ownership of so i could sell them for future magazine stories so when you can do that when you can self-publish a book and then just get royalties from amazon every time someone buys a book those are all assets that you can cash in on later um so you don't always have to think about i need to work every hour of every day
0: so i can pay the bills <laughs> you're um giving me an idea for another question that might be a little too uh, detailed but it's it's interesting it, it is mm-hmm. important i think because you talk about uh, volunteering Unite wholeheartedly uh, believe in this that's what i tell everyone and uh, of course, I can't remember my beginning when I used to do my thing as an interpreter. And of course, I did work for um, you know the Red Cross, things like that. Um, but there is a moment then, in order to create your nest egg, to create your assets, uh, there's a jump into putting a price tag on your services, right? I remember for myself in teaching, them. I work in a university, it was very difficult in the beginning to put a monetary value on my worth. That was very difficult. Um, how did that work for you? How, did, it, how did, did you see it? Did you compare it to other people? Or, or how did that work?
1: That's such a wonderful question because I think anybody that is in a some sort of a you know a creative living has that same challenge because you can't just give everything away because if you give everything away then everybody values it at nothing. <laughs> right, exactly. You have to put right? a value
0: on your work. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, and so it's challenging. I mean, even today, I, all the time, I I I get comments like oh, you know, do you have any images of X, Y, Z? And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, you know what what's uh what's the deal basically and and they'll be oh 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 no there's no monetary <laughs> but you know but we're going to give you credit you know and that'll be really good exposure for you and i'm like i'm 56 years old <laughs>
0: <laughs> i don't need the I'm exposure kind of like
1: at the top of <laughs> yeah,
0: the yeah. top
1: of my uh, sport right now i don't really need any exposure you know i assume you're getting paid right for yeah, what right. you're doing exactly. every day exactly and so should i um so it is difficult yeah. and that's not to say that i don't give away some things but but I, I do look at something and I'm like, like, okay, is this getting, is this person getting paid? Then I should also get paid. Or am I giving something away because it's a cause that's very near and dear to my heart? Like yeah. am I mentoring a young woman right. because I, I want her to, you know, fulfill the next generation and make this
0: world a better place. Right. You right, right. So you've touched um, on a couple of things that, uh, so, so I value my time. Okay, mm-hmm. so, so if a client says to me, if I have to do, you know, offer a service, I put a, a price tag on the time it takes for me to do it and the nature of the service. If it's a product, because you're talking about a photo, and it's different from the underwater time that you spend, um, that is very slippery, like you yourself know, because okay, you write the book, it's on the market you there is it becomes then income it's not that passive and it was you know you worked on that like crazy but but that has a life all of its own um with these photos in your case photos it must be i can understand the difficulty but isn't there a way to say creating a part of your website or a part of your um where you market things to uh, make collections and offer them as a collection, my collection in the Arctic, my collection, I don't know, and, and give it a name and um, and a price yeah. tag. Because would that work?
1: Yeah, I actually have an online gallery so that, you know, people could go there, look at pictures and they could go, oh, gee, I love this jellyfish picture. Right. I'd love a print of this on my wall. And so they can buy a print or a canvas or a oh, coffee okay. cup or whatever. Um, yeah. So that's one way to sell to like a private consumer um but then there's also you know people want to use them on a website or in a book or in a publication or on a map or something like that Um. and each use is is different different. and yeah yeah, and each use uh there has to be some sort of an agreement like if someone wants the exclusive right to a photo so that they never see it anywhere else then that's going to be quite expensive but if i retain the rights and i can sell it in other ways then it's going to be cheaper you know if they're going to print a million copies it's going to be more expensive than someone who's putting it on a website
0: yeah 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 i can see that um i'd like to end with the um something you've written for me uh, because before i meet my guests i always uh, send a pre-interview questionnaire and one of the questions is um you've just won won a prize and um and you're able to speak to anyone that you want, anyone alive or who have passed. And who would that person be? And what would you ask them? And your answer was Rachel Carson. Mm-hmm. And you said she was an important person, an important self-taught naturalist. It can be tough mm-hmm. to be taken seriously without a PhD after mm-hmm. your name. What about her? Tell me mm-hmm. a little bit about her.
1: Well, I think uh, when I read her books as a, as a young woman, that that was part of what... Um, mm-hmm. Instilled in me the wonder of the natural world, and specifically the, the sea, really. Um, and I also admired her because she was she was sort of a generalist, and I think of myself in that way.
0: What do you too. mean by that?
1: So many people who go to school for a scientific degree end up in a very specialized niche. So they right. become the expert in mollusks, <laughs> right, right sure, <laughs> or a particular sure. type of mollusk, right? right? right. But she was really more of an environmental scientist before there was a term environmental stu- scientist. Right. So she understood the b- biology of systems and the interrelationships right. of living things, and and she was self-taught. And I have a deep interest in science, but I didn't go to university for a science there. degree mm-hmm. because I didn't want to be a specialist. Right. I, right. I wanted to be someone that was able to look more holistically at climate change or water issues from cultural and scientific backgrounds and knit those things together. And so as an artist, I I do get to do that. Like when I, when I cave dive, I'm extending the reach, the eyes and the hands of scientists who are are specialists and don't have the specialized um, training and background that I do in getting to these places that nobody's ever been before. and, and so she was that, that model, I guess, in my mind of what I might be in the future. Yeah,
0: yeah. I can see that. Um, I, I don't know what else to add. When is your next exploration? What's the <laughs> next, next adventure coming up? Come on, let wet our appetites.
1: Yeah, I, oh, I've got lots of things that got obviously <laughs> postponed from from COVID, and so right. so these days, as I've been home in in Canada for the longest stretch ever in my life, I've been working on Canada's under longest underwater cave system, um, not too far from my home, and I'm doing some scientific research on um, actually on on mussels, bivalves, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and exploring this this remarkable six mile long cave system. Uh, But as soon as things open up a little bit more, I'm hoping some of my expeditions fall back into place in Newfoundland and up in the Arctic, uh, as well as some in the South Pacific in January, if COVID situations allow.
0: Wow. You've made us dream for this entire uh, episode. And I can't thank you enough for that, Jill. Thank you so much for taking the time to stay with to be with us on this episode. I really appreciate it thank oh, you so much
1: pleasure. it's been so nice to talk to you claudia and if me anyone too. wants to reach out just uh, find me at into theplanet.com.
0: good i will be writing that underneath the description of the episode great thanks again jill thanks so much
1: all right take care